0: Welcome to Invisible Sidekick, a podcast where I sit down and chat with the creative masterminds behind some of your favourite music campaigns. My name is Cam, I've been a creative in music for nearly 10 years, and over the last decade I've crossed paths with some of the best creative talent in the industry, and I've managed to talk some of them into featuring in this series. This week's sidekick is music photographer Nicholas O'Donnell. Welcome Nick, how you doing mate? How How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Yeah, all good, all good. So Christmas is over and done with now, so it's a new year full of hopefully new projects. That's it, let's do this. Let's go. So first of all, let me start by saying thank you so much for agreeing to do this, because I know that podcasting isn't for everyone, and I know that sitting and talking about yourself isn't for everyone either, because it can be a bit awkward. But it's just going to be a chill vibe, where we're just going to sit and talk shit about photography for the next half an hour, and hopefully answer some questions that um any listeners might be wondering about the photography industry and how you got into it and how to get into it so um we've both got our coffees at the ready we do indeed and what are you drinking at the moment then
1: ah i'm just drinking some like you know some granulated stuff
0: in from a mug that says yes i really do need all these plants (laughs) that's brilliant that's brilliant um i'm drinking from like a little mini flask thing that my nephew got me for christmas it says uncle Saurus. honestly some of these mug phrases are just very out there it's great yeah it oh. seems to become like a thing that people now collect mugs
1: ah 100 percent.
0: can show the personality yeah show your personality through the power of mugs and let the mugs do the talking sometimes as well because i've seen some mugs that have pretty pretty aggressive statements on them Um, Anyway, moving on, Um, so let's get straight into it. So you're a photographer and a pretty shit-off photographer as well. If you've not seen Nick's work, I will link it, so check it out. So how did it all start for you? What was young Nick like? Was he creative?
1: Okay, perfect. So um, I think young Nick was never actually really a creative. I think growing up, I kind of went through phases of getting hooked on things. So at one stage, I was, so obviously as a young boy, I I I was obsessed with football. And then it went from football to table tennis, I was playing that six nights a week, and then it went from that to ta- to golf, I was playing that six days a week, and then it came to a point where I'd go through so many things, and my parents didn't really think I'd stick at anything, and then I kind of discovered uh, photography when I was 14, uh, I discovered it on, like a, on a friend's family road trip, and as cliche as it sounds, something just clicked, and then kind of just started from there and then I think the kind of creativity then kind of started started, uh, started really coming then so like I said before I wasn't really creative but then around the age of 14 I kind of got a lot more creative when I discovered photography
0: and when you discovered photography can you remember the first ever camera that you got yeah so I
1: suppose the first ever camera I ever got was I was taking pictures when I first discovered it on like a old phone and then I bought a bridge camera so bridge cameras like in between a compact camera and a SLR, which so a compact camera you can't swap the lens, but with an SLR you can swap the lens, So, hence the name bridge camera. So that was the first camera I got it was Nikon Coolpix, forget the model, but it was perfect, it started me off, it started me off.
0: Yeah, I can still remember my first ever laptop, it was this big massive heavy blocky thing that was the size of a briefcase. But I ran that bastard into the ground when I was learning my dodgy page in a Photoshop all them years ago. Um, it became a bit of a fire as it didn't end. Um, do you ever get a bit pissed off at how easy it is for anyone to take a decent picture on an iPhone these days? Because some of the cameras that you get on these phones are shit art. So do you ever feel a little bit threatened?
1: You know, I think the the more I kind of go along, I think I'm, I'm not really against it anymore, to be honest, I think, because... Like photography is such a beautiful thing in the sense of anyone can take a picture but not anyone can kind of make a career from it and I think even the phone camera is so good these days, there's this photographer called Greg Williams, he's like a celebrity photographer and he says to always carry a camera around with him even if it's like a iPhone camera, because you can still get some like beautiful shots, I've like, I, I got a book by him recently and he has a photo of Matt Damon in the water and he took it on an iPhone 12. So it just goes to show that you don't need a great camera to take a great picture.
0: Yeah, and I think most people can take a picture with a camera um, without having to think about it. But um, and most people can learn how to use a camera, unless your are mum and dad who can't even use a TV remote or a phone for that matter. Um, but there's so much more involved. It's not just a case of turning up, like having your camera ready and just shooting pictures. Not at all. So that actually brings me on nicely to you telling me about planning shoots, and um, as we've just spoke about, it's not all about the camera. It's actually about everything else that's involved. So talk me through it. It is so, like in terms of planning shoots.
1: So first thing to do is kind of talk to the client, see what they want, maybe to get them to create to create a mood board of of image like of kind of uh, shots they can reference from. So that gives me the idea of what they're aiming towards and obviously to get a brief so say if we're working on some artwork for say a single cover or an ep cover or an artwork album uh, to get a brief and like a brief description of what the album's about and from there then i kind of pick and choose keywords and then it goes on to choose a location that suits that and then looking at like the likes of pinterest which is great for inspiration but it's the problem the key is not to kind of you know, not to copy a shot of uh, Pinterest because I think nowadays it's very easy to copy ideas. Yeah, it is. I think everyone does it even without knowing.
0: Hmm. Um, so it's great to get bits and pieces. Do you know, I used to cringe at people using Pinterest um, years ago when I was in my early 20s because it was such a cringy platform. Yeah. Um, and it was such a prime, like a... It was such evidence that you were old or you were getting old. Yeah. And now I'm in my mid-30s. I use Pinterest more than I ever thought I would ever use Pinterest. Yeah. It is such a great tool, especially when you're making mood boards. Do you know for clients? It's just, it's just like Instagram ads. Yeah, it is. Um, and I don't know what they do, but you can find things on Pinterest that you just can't find on a search engine. So you can't find it on Google. You can't find it on Instagram, it's like they've got access to like, it's mental. Why? Like, how are they doing it? Where are they getting this content from? Because I need it more so than I ever thought I would do in me in me thirties. But you can't spend too much time on Pinterest or on Instagram or looking at inspiration to the point where it actually flattens your creativity, and it can be a bit, you know, it can be counterproductive because you can work too hard on trying to get inspired, but you end up being a bit of a copycat. So I'm always cautious of that. I don't know when to take a step back. Completely.
1: Um, I think, I'll just, one more thing on that. I think the flip side to that is, if you, if you spend too much time trying to think of an original idea, I feel like it, it could be quite easy to get bogged down on that. Yeah. So I think it's nothing wrong with kind of diving interest and kind of getting bits to kind of help you
0: move along your ideas. So if you're on set and you've got a client that you've never worked with, um, you've never worked with before, who are maybe not as used to being in front of the camera, um, and they're a bit nervous, yeah. and it shows in the shots that you're taking. How do you settle them down? What's your processes to make them more more at ease in front of the camera? Yeah, of course. So I think so. If, say if I'm in a, if I'm doing a studio
1: shoot, which is I say about maybe like four hours, a half day. <laughs> I always look at it. as The first hour, the shots are never going to be that great because you're kind of just getting into it. Yeah, and I always tell the client have fun and not to worry. And I kind of, myself, I kind of tend to like not take, not be too serious on set. Like it obviously depends if you're working with a big team and a big budget, then you have to be somewhat serious. But a lot of shoots I do are kind of with smaller artists. So it kind of gives you a chance to kind of be be yourself and not take it too seriously. And then when the client sees that, it kind of gives them a chance to relax more. And yes, I think it's... With a shoot, just the first hour, I never really think it was, you'll get the shot. And then as the time progresses in the shoot, the client becomes more comfortable and just through chatting to them and even getting them to play music they like, it helps
0: a lot. So it's also something to talk about. And does that get easier the more you get to know them? Like if you have an artist that you've shot before or you're used to being around, um, I'm guessing it makes it easier the more you know them? 100%. So you're shooting Tom Grennan at the moment and you've been shooting him for a while. So I'm guessing that, um, which are great shots, by the way, I've been looking at them all. Thank you. Um, so I'm guessing that you now know what Tom likes because you've spent that much time with him. You know him more as a person. So you'll know what shots he likes to be taking. You know what shots that he's probably going to approve and stuff. So I'm guessing you being around them, getting to know them a bit more, makes your job a bit easier. hundred percent because the more you work
1: with an artist, you build, you build up a friendship and that's the beauty of working with an artist over time. You can kind of you become friends and they're, if you, want to try, if you want to try something that's maybe a bit out there, they're more up for it and they become a lot more comfortable around you. It's like, especially, um, it almost, he almost forgets that the camera's in the room sometimes. And like, that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah. Do you know what? That's probably the best way to be, to be honest, because I hate having my picture taken. Um, the thought of somebody following me around with a camera would get on my tits, to be honest. But um. I think you sort of like have to have to get there there, so you get more of a candid shot and you get more natural shots that are not like overly posed.
1: Definitely, and I, there's nothing wrong with doing pose shots because I always like if I'm ever on a if it's ever a gig day with Tom, I always try and get a few pose shots before
0: he goes on stage. And who are your inspirations, Nick? Who inspired you to want to be a photographer? So
1: I went through different genres of photography. When I started off, it's funny because when I first started off doing photography. I did purely landscape for about a year, two years, and I actually hated photographing people. I refused to for a long time. No way why. that surprises me largely because you're so damn good at it. Why was that? <laughs> I think it just came down to a landscape, it's a still image. You don't have to talk to the person, you can kind of just focus on the landscape. And I think it was just, it becomes easier in some sense. And then, it was actually, like looking back, I think it was great because for like composition wise, the, the likes of rules a third, uh, learning how to take compose a landscape image, I can kind of bring that into my kind of live stuff, for instance, so say if I'm doing a live, say if I'm doing a shooting a live concert, I'll look at like say a wire coming out from a corner. What I'll do is I'll crop the image in that the wire comes into the image right from a corner. So it kind of leads the viewer
0: in. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, like, small things like that have helped. And then progressed from then doing landscape to nightclub photography. I wanted to become a war photographer at one stage. And then I was even doing...
0: You wanted to become a what?
1: A war photographer. A war photographer? War zones and photograph war, essentially, which is ridiculous because nowadays... That's crazy. You probably get a lot of work nowadays, to be fair. Yeah, literally. But um, it's just... is so dangerous like even back in the day you'd have photographers being killed in war zones but nowadays it's becoming a lot more a lot more prominent just because
0: but you know what there is a um a sky news reporter i think it is and she's uh, what's her name alex crawford i think her name is and she um i'll have to check that but i think it is alex crawford um yeah that's her um but she's she is literally in the middle of like she's in harm's way all the time, and she just does not give a shit. She's just there to report on the goings on in the world and that, and she she could be shot and blown up in any second, and she just don't care. She's made of steel. It just takes
1: a certain balls, to
0: do. yeah. She's fucking mad. Every credit to her. She's a brave lady. But what I will say, some of the most iconic photographs have been taken in a war zone. Oh, completely. But well, looking
1: back at that, I'm quite happy just to not be in a war zone.
0: Yeah, safety over um, over creativity, always. 100%. Right, now that we've lowered the tone talking about war, uh, was there ever a time in your career where you thought, I don't want to do this anymore, fuck it?
1: Yeah, I think there's been a few instances. Like, I I think over the last some of the years, I've kind of burnt out quite a bit. But I think one thing that kind of sticks out is last year, I believe, my camera equipment got robbed. No way. Yeah, so that was a bit of a kick in the ball. It was also after doing a cover shoot with Big Nasty and a gig that evening. Oh, shit. That was quite disheartening. But luckily, I've bounced back. Like, a lot, I have a lot of great people around me that kind of chipped in to kind of help me get back to where I was. And I'll be forever grateful for that. So that was definitely a low point.
0: Yeah, but you can replace a camera. What you can't replace is, you know, your mind and your ideas. it. For me,
1: with the, the shoots I had, like I had I had a hard to, uh, a hard drive as well. Two hard drives in my bag. One was, I was just going to fix and the other one. So all the shoots that I hadn't backed up were gone. So that was, I think, the biggest kicking teeth.
0: Oh, that is a worst nightmare of mine. That is to be in the middle of a project and something happens like my computer gets stolen or my hard drive gets stolen i mean how do you even explain that You can't. Just like the only thing you can do is
1: explain to the client and they understand because it's one of those things you can't you can't get it back and you just have to you kind of have to bite the bullet and move on yeah. rather than kind of rather than uh, being too involved you know
0: anyway so i had a proper shit show a few years ago my dad bought me some new noise cancelling headphones um, and if there was ever a review or an advertisement to how good these headphones are, then this is it, and JBL should definitely sponsor this podcast, because your headphones damn nearly fucking killed me, so I was working away in my office, and I'd been working away for about maybe an hour or so, and I seen smoke in the corner of my eye coming through my office door, and my office is at the back of my apartment, um, so obviously ripped my headphones off, and I could hear screaming, I could hear the alarms going off, um, but I couldn't hear them with the headphones on. Um, so unbeknownst to me, it was chaos outside because my neighbour who lives across the hall had accidentally set her kitchen on fire with a chip pan. Oh, so I came running out of my office. My entire flat was full of smoke. Um, the only way out was through the front door because I'm in an upstairs apartment and there's no way I'm going to start jumping out of windows. Definitely not. Um so as I left, I had to go through the front door, which was terrifying, by the way. <laughs> um, and I actually ran back up the stairs to come back into my office to grab my laptop and my hard drive so I didn't lose most of that year's work. So I risked my life for my clients, not me, bit dramatic. Um, the fire weren't that bad, but um, I didn't know at that time. <laughs> so if you ever want some peace and quiet or you want to be cut off from the world completely, then get yourself some JBL headphones. And the funny thing is, is I thought I caused it because earlier that day, I bought a new George Foreman grill and I left it on in my kitchen to burn off before I use it. Um, so I thought it was me because I'd I'd forgot about it, but it weren't. It was my neighbour in a chip pan. So yeah, if there's a lesson to be learned from this, buy an air fryer, stop using chip pans. Oh, mate.
1: And the thing is, I would have done the same. I would have ran back and saved my hard drives and my laptop and my camera. Cameras. Yeah. It I'm, just... I it does
0: Yeah, I mean, I can replace a couch and I can replace a TV. What I can't replace is all the work I've already done. 100%. With the hard drives, you can...
1: If worse comes to worse and everything is ruined and you need money, you can... You have a catalogue of stuff that you can kind of use to kind of somehow pay for it back.
0: Exactly. Anyway, moving on. Have you seen The Office, Ken? Do you know what? I really enjoy telling people that I've never seen an episode of The Office. Okay, but there's an, there's an episode where Michael Scott, the boss,
1: he likes to put, he likes to make his breakfast in the morning, so what he does is he has his George Foreman in the bed, and one morning he comes out to work and he had,
0: he had toasted his foot on the George Foreman. See, get an air fryer, much safer all round. Are we talking about the, the English version. Uh, American version. I ah, see I don't watch American versions since they redid Shameless for the American audience really put me off yeah that would kind of put you off yeah but there was a time that I would only ever listen to American music but um, I would never really listen to anything that come from the UK but that's kind of flipped the other way around now that I work in music um, who did you listen to what music were you into um, so I was
1: never really again I was never hugely into music growing up but I think like the, the likes of Rolling Stones Johnny Cash I was big into like classic music and then when I got into my early teens it was a lot of Skrillex you know his old his, his golden era of music yes and then Macklemore was a big one as well I remember that was the first album I bought
0: yeah I love Macklemore Macklemore music was sick he needs to come back he's great He's, he seems like such he's a good guy. So cool good, I guy. love his style. Yeah. I love his like big
1: influence of golf.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, he needs to come back with some new music. Like, come back, Ryan. I know.
1: And then Ryan Lewis as well. Yes. I watched him on a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. Thrift shop. What a banger! Mm. So that leads me on nicely, actually. To who would you like to photograph, dead or alive? Um, if you were not a photographer, I wouldn't feel the need to explain that. I mean, like people who have passed away rather than like dead bodies <laughs> of course <laughs> um
1: so i think definitely Jimi hendrix uh jimmy hendrix and then jim marson
0: do you know what now that like, you've actually mentioned it, i can definitely see their influence on your work because like Jimi hendrix is the greatest
1: yeah the yeah icon like that 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 gig where he set the guitar on fire is just like it's historical it's like it's yeah, and then obviously, like, David Bowie, because he's gone through so many different styles. Like, he's, he's he's like, influenced so many different people. Like, even, like, it's mad, because you look at David Bowie's first album, and there's a song called The Laughing Gnome, and people regard it as either his best song or his worst song, because you have, like, you literally have Alvin and the Chipmunks on it. No way. Yeah, it's just, like, three laughing chipmunks. Like, it's it's very out there. It's very, it's very much David Bowie, and it just goes... It's great to see, because it shows, like, his how he's progressed from such like from such like unique music to becoming mainstream but yet
0: keeping the kind of uniqueness yeah and you find with artists like that that um, it takes a lot of time for people to actually respect their creative their creative choices and usually when like a lot of years have gone by is when they stop being like shocking but actually start being iconic literally and you can't plan for something to become iconic either. That's something that only time will allow. No, one hundred percent. Even like, it likes like going
1: off topic, but like, is it Vincent Van Gogh? He only became really famous after he passed away.
0: Yeah, and if he was alive today, he would definitely be TikTok famous. His work is brilliant. Yeah, so so good. I'm talking to TikTok actually. There's a woman I follow called Look Up London. With, I think her name's Katie, um, and she does like, um, she's like a tour guide. So she uh, she goes through like museums and stuff, and she posted about this artist from I think it was the 1700s, and her name was Rachel Roche, and she was um, a Dutch artist, and she specialised in like still life, and some of her work blew my mind because you because you would think that it was a photograph, uh, it was just super detailed, and what blows my mind even more is that this painter had ten kids running around Gath, 10 kids while she's trying to do a painting. Unless unless the kids were helping her. Who knows? But if they're anything like today's kids, I doubt it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I spend way too much time on TikTok. I mean, it's very, it's so easy to fall into that trap. I know, it really is. And you start off with such a disciplined, like, half an hour, like, I'm going to spend half an hour on TikTok, and then before you know it, you've spent, like, three hours scrolling through shit, and then you see the woman in the mirror. Have you seen the woman in the mirror on TikTok? No. Right, I promise you, now that I've I've mentioned it to you, you'll definitely see her. So when you've spent too long scrolling through TikTok, you'll land on a video of a woman turning a bathroom light on and walking towards the mirror, and that's there to tell you that you've spent too much time on TikTok and that you need to get a life, basically.
1: So if I want to see her,
0: go on TikTok for a lot of hours.
1: Perfect.
0: So staying on the topic of time, how do you manage your workload? How do you delegate your time well? Because you're becoming more and more popular, you're getting more work in, more people want to work with you, your name's getting out there. How do you manage that time and and how do you keep each shoot completely unique from the last one within that time? Um it's a good question. Um
1: so managing work is just to try and have a schedule. Like obviously prior if you have say if I've done multiple shoots and I have multiple edits. So prior prioritize which uh, shoots need to be done first, because the last thing you want is to get some work late over to a client. And then I think, and then trying to mix up shoots and make them different. It's it's. I think it really just depends. Like the beauty of working as like a photographer is you can kind of work in different genres, with different genre, different genres of artists. Yeah. So like. So like different a lot of artists would have different styles. So like some artists might want some like really clean images, other ones might some like what I what's something I've done quite recently, started getting into is like kind of the kind of like long exposure effect. I love a long exposure like shot. That kinda of, you can get some really creative stuff. So I have one shoot coming up and they want all like long exposure imagery and then I have another shoe which is kinda of like more cleaner image cleaner stuff.
0: Yeah, we worked on a project um, where we explored long exposure. Yeah, when's it coming out? I'm not sure, but I am hope it's going to be sometime this year. But um, just so the listeners know, because we can't talk about it too much, um, we both worked on it. You did the shoot yep. and I did the artwork. And we both fought tooth and nail to have this long exposure shot approved for the artwork. Do you remember? I do, yeah. And, it, man, just, it, and cool. it just wasn't happening and it just weren't approved and... Uh, yeah, we were both pretty good about it, but you do have to fall in line sometimes because that is the nature of the job. You do. Uh, but we live in hope that it is going to be seen eventually uh, because it was beautifully done. That long exposure shot that we wanted for the artwork was yeah, thank- beautifully done by you. Thank you, man. appreciate it. And I'm hoping it'll be this year because it's it, it's been ages. I mean, I mean, how long ago was it? It was like, what, two years now at this point? Two years ago, God, that's crazy, that's crazy, but we shall see. And annoyingly, it's actually one of my favourite artworks I think I've ever done, and and nobody's getting to see it, and I'm like, hurry up, where is it? Let's get it out there so I can show it off. Yeah. And um, it's always a risk to have that lying around for so long, because I can look at that now, maybe two years down the line, and, and would actually mentally make a thousand changes.
1: Now, like I have this image that I shot of an artist and so they're a punk band and this image is probably one of the one of my favorite shots i have ever taken because it it like it, it sums up punk in one image but because of what's been seen in, in the image and what the artist is doing in the image I can't release it because it's quite uh, you know it could get them in, in trouble but I really want to release it but I haven't got approval, and I'm sure it'll be fine, but I don't want to take that risk at the same time.
0: Oh, you wait for the artist to become a bit of a recluse, and it's used in a documentary, and then you get a shit ton of money.
1: Bingo. There we go. And then it becomes even more...
0: Iconic. Popular. Exactly. So I was recently invited to go back to my old college to deliver a talk to the design students, um, and... I was a bit hesitant at first, but it was one of the most rewarding things I think I've ever done. To go back to where I started, um, to actually come full circle, to go back and talk to the next generation of creative talent. So what advice would you give to any up-and-coming photographers that are trying to break into the industry?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think for, if you want to break into the music photography, I think the key thing to do is so I'll kind of go back on my story. So when I first started out doing music photography, I contacted local bands. So it's funny because a lot of like a lot of photographers would know an artist when they get into it. But for me, I didn't know a single person that was a
0: musician. Yeah, and, they, and it's the exact same story for me. I didn't yeah. know a single soul who worked in music um, when I first started. Um, I knew that I wanted to work in music, but I didn't know how. There's ways. Like the way I
1: did it is I started
0: emailing small bands
1: and I'm actually really close to some of them. So what i do is there was a venue in Cork. Uh, so I'm from Ireland myself. There's a venue in Cork, in Cork City called Fred Zeppelins. So they have a venue upstairs and it is a capacity of 50. So it's a tiny, tiny room. But for about a year, I shot in that room and other small venues. So I learned my craft through learning mistakes early on in that room. So the key is to, I think, learn your mistakes early on rather than make them when you're on a bigger scale and just in like the great thing about social media is you can contact people so like what i used to do is use facebook to find email addresses for managers email lots of different people just offer my offer to shoot them for free and then if they like it then kind of build up a rep like a build up a friendship with them and use those images then to to get bigger gigs and then it kind of it, it almost snowballs from there and the main thing is just to be nice, just be sound, just yeah, be open to, be, just be open to work with any artists because you never know, some of these artists could become huge and if you, if they'll remember you if you are sound and you know might give you a call to kind of work with them then when they're in a bigger level
0: yeah we've got very similar journeys um because um i started a very similar way where um like um the thing with social media now is that you can actually directly contact an artist whether they reply or not um, yeah, of but, um and it really paid off for me in the end because i was a bit of a pest
1: I mean, you have to be, you have to be but the thing is the worst i can say is no
0: yeah and to be fair i think most of them didn't even reply anyway but one of them did and on it probably took about 2 or 3 years for me to get that one reply not that I was inboxing this artist for 2 or 3 years that's not how it was but um I I was like actively trying on like Instagram for maybe 2 or 3 years before I got that one reply yeah um and um, in the meantime I tried my best to learn as much as I can about the music industry but actually one of the best pieces of advice I can give people is you probably won't learn that much until you're in that's it. until you're actually in the industry because i learned more on the job than i did before i even got into it and that's probably the best way to be to be honest like there is nothing more valuable in the industry than work experience and just before i got that one reply um i was ready to give up but um just from that one reply it kind of snowballed into me being introduced to people at labels being introduced to other managers and the power of word of mouth and and it, it just sort of like it kind of felt like it happened overnight but actually when i think about it properly it was it was maybe 2 or 3 years worth of like hustling to actually get that one reply and it really paid yeah. off in the end the thing to remember is it didn't happen overnight you you
1: anyone in in that position worked for years just to get there i think like i think people outside the industry like i've had a lot of people think come up to me like your job's great it must be so easy but to get to the level where we are it doesn't happen overnight. You have to constantly grind. Like for instance, you know the artist Lizzo. Yeah. So she, I saw, I saw a thing where she was work. She was before she, before she like uh, broke through. She was working. She was working at it for ten years. She was doing gigs for beer. She was like, with no money in her account, and because she constantly worked and grinded, it paid off.
0: And as hard as it is to remain motivated, um, you do have to be persistent because. You know, it could just it could just change your life. I'm in a really good position now where I don't have to hustle as hard because I can get to pick and choose now what jobs I work on because I don't necessarily yeah um, I don't necessarily need the work that much now. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning when I was up and coming, I um I would take on all sorts of little bits of shit because I needed to prove myself. so i would take on like um a lot of social assets or i'd make someone else's artwork move and it wasn't really fulfilling because it wasn't my artwork i was actually working on but things have changed now because i i don't feel the pressure to prove myself as much i think i've already earned my stripes to be honest and i think that's probably the biggest reward that you can ever achieve as a freelancer it's a beautiful thing. It's like, it's
1: like with even like with like you know Frozen, what we were both work on. Like they're getting they're getting bigger and bigger, and we're like we've been doing all their stuff, which is really nice. Yeah, they are
0: the they they are the hardest working yeah. group in the industry. They are <laughs> they are working their fingers to the bone to get themselves out there, and it's paying yeah. off. And it is it's paying off, and they are so different. If you've not listened to no. their music, you need to check them out um so they're called froze mode and their handle is at froze mode Um, they're gonna be huge they are gonna be huge they um and you know what they deserve it because they're so authentically themselves they don't sound like anybody else yeah maybe so they don't they don't act like anybody else they are literally completely unique you will honestly you'll love them check them out for sure they do kind of remind me of the early days of End Ups um, when they first came on the scene and they did everything themselves and they were all authentic to like real British culture. And you get that with Frozmo. They represent all the corners of the country that um, is not glamorized in the media. No, and that's how you do. it. That's the story of any
1: great artist. Like they, every great artist has a story of how they've made it.
0: Yeah, with Frozmo, theirs is um, authentic and really relatable. Definitely authentic. So just to finish off, Nick, because I've absolutely loved having you on um, and easing me into this gently um, on the first episode, but um, what does your end game look like? What's next for you? Um, So I think I don't really, I don't don't necessarily have an end
1: game. I think the end game for me is to just be able to do what I'm doing until I die. But I think over time I want to do art exhibitions, release some photo books and be able to kind of you know, encapsulate my stuff over time, and
0: yeah, that's a great idea.
1: And then I don't know. There's not. There's no like. There's no. There's no particular artist like that, that I haven't worked with that I really want to work with. But um, like I think for now I really want to work with Tom going forward full time, kind of capture his journey because like any like if you look at like the likes of like Youngblood or Inhaler or even um, David Bowie, like they all had photographers. Like David Bowie had. Uh, mick rock who's a huge inspiration for me Uh young brother's tom Palin, and then inhaler of lewis evans who's another great photographer so i think just really just work with one artist or a, a number of particular artists and kind of capture their journey and then over time be able to release books and release exhibitions and you know go down as maybe one of the great photographers in music
0: yeah we're going to manifest that for you we're going to manifest it it will happen. Um, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice actually to have a conversation with you. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because we're always, um, although we work together on a lot of things, we're always really busy. So we don't really have the time or the chance to sit and have like a proper conversation where we're not talking about like work. And we've never actually met in person, which is mad. Yeah, that is mad. We need to change that very it's soon. Um, I it's went to not- a party just before Christmas and it was um, a celebrity party. Um, and usually I wouldn't ever go to anything like this because it's so far from my normal life that I'm, 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 I'm not tempted by anything that the perks of my job has to offer because I'm, I am quite antisocial, I'm not very, I'm not very glitz and glam and it does not interest me in the slightest but I went because I knew there'd be a lot of people there that I could meet for the first time who I'd worked with for, for years and it was so good to actually be there and to meet them in person. But what was quite strange is is it didn't feel like it was the first time I'd actually met them because we'd spoken so often. Um, yeah, literally. So um, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, I'm glad I went. It was great fun. And it was a fancy dress party as well. So I did pretty damn well to recognize people who were in fancy dress. <laughs> So Nick, thanks again for taking the time to join me because I know you're a busy man, and I'm excited to see what you're going to do next. And I'm looking forward to working with you again. Um, it's been wicked. Thank you again for having
1: me. It's been really nice. And, you know, it's nice to be able to kind of talk talk about what I do. So it's always it's always a pleasure.
0: And if you want to hear more from Nick and see some of his fantastic work, you can follow him on Instagram. His handle is at Nicholas O'Donnell. Thank you, Cam.